Hello, this is Michael Stone, the host of We Earth Radio, where we have conversations that make a difference. We're committed to bringing you leading edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. In our programs, we look for positive solutions to local and global issues that leave you touched, moved, and inspired to action. Our weekly guests include local and global experts and concerned citizens working together to heal the wounds that separate, alienate, and marginalize people. Welcome to We Earth Radio. This is your host, Michael Stone, and I am so pleased to have my friend and brilliant teacher, Sandra Ingerman. She is an award-winning author of 12 books, including Shamanic Journeying, Medicine for the Earth, Walking in Light, The Book of Ceremony. She is a world-renowned teacher of shamanism and has been teaching for more than 40 years. Sandra is recognized for bridging ancient cross-cultural healing methods into our modern culture, addressing the needs of our times. Sandy, welcome to our new show. Thanks, Michael. It's always a delight to talk with you. <laughs> yeah, likewise. We were just talking a moment ago about the collective and what's mostly obvious is the collective madness with all these conspiracy stories and, and uh, separation and divisiveness and name calling. Uh, I've never known a time in my 75 years that... Uh, it's been this crazy and this this uh, much separation in the world. What's your feelings about it from a shamanic perspective? Well, you know, I I actually started writing about this um, uh, during nine eleven, and it's a, it's a very interesting topic and a, a topic that's really really dear to my heart. When 9-11 occurred, and I know there's a lot of conspiracy theories about that, too, I had a dream. And in in the dream, I was actually shown the force, the unbelievable concentrated force behind some of the forces that were creating the division in the world. that were creating all the problems. And this force had uh, the ability to concentrate in ways that are way beyond anything I've seen possible in uh, the human mind. And the issue that I see is that the spiritual community allows itself to be so distracted and pulled apart by forces that are really, and this is not a conspiracy theory, this is just, we live in a very divided world right now. And some of the forces that want to keep us divided have amazing concentration abilities and know how to distract. And the spiritual community really has, doesn't have enough of a focus to really come together at this point. And 
And that's, I think, a really interesting topic and a really interesting statement um, to really see how distracted we allow ourselves to get. Yeah, and so much of that distraction is our addiction to social media, to Facebook, to LinkedIn, to all these things and, and getting friends. And I think it's gotten worse with the COVID because people are at home and instead of meditating or do, doing inner work, they're on Facebook. And the amount of hours that people are on Facebook has just continued to increase. One of the interesting things, I think people on your show know a little bit about shamanism and know that in shamanism, we work with helping spirits. And it's really interesting how uh, what's happening because of social media is people actually aren't consulting with their helping spirits. They're getting on a soapbox and talking about what they think. And, and they're talking more from ego, not talking from source, not talking from spirit. You know, it goes back to, we've done multiple shows together, Michael, over the years, where I keep talking about how we're never going to make progress. We're never going to move forward as long as we keep surfing the surface waves and that's what we're doing because we um, allow ourselves to keep getting distracted you know we'll take one course and we'll do just a little bit of the work before we go on to the next course but a bigger issue that the spirits are talking to me about right now um, they just started talking to me about this a few days ago. And I think, um, I think this is one of the reasons that people are on Facebook so much right now is the spirits are, are sharing with me that because of how much trauma we've all had in our personal lives, we've gotten really good at hypervigilance. And now what's happening is we're starting to move into psychic hypervigilance. So we're looking for the signs. Um, we're looking for signs of, are we safe? What's the danger out there? And we're looking anywhere that we can. It's the ego's way of trying to find safety. And even if it's, even if it's in divisiveness at least it's a place of belonging you know so the ego's looking out there for any safe place where it can belong and where it's trying to get information about what's going to happen and as you're teaching um, with your meditation work the key is stay in the present and do your work. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the reasons, though, that people have trouble, even in meditation, staying present is this whole area of trauma. And I'm excited to see people like Thomas Hubel and many other people that are working on this issue. And Thomas was on a few weeks ago, and he talked about trauma is actually frozen past, and it's in the body. 
it is soul loss. What we call soul loss in shamanism is really what these fragmented parts of ourselves, when we met early fears or had some kind of dangerous situation where we shut a piece of ourselves down and that hasn't been integrated. So mostly we're living in this shadow world. And the only way to work with that is not looking out there and how are we going to fix the out there problems, but how can we go in here and integrate and love those parts of ourselves, which have been denied and suppressed and dissociated for so long. Talk about the shamanic aspect of soul retrieval and soul remembering and how that can help us to get into that larger space of stillness? Well, as you just shared, um, in shamanism, it's believed that whenever we suffer trauma in our life, whatever it is on a psychological or a physical issue, no matter how small it is, it could be falling off a bike. There's the potential that a part of our soul, our soul being our vitality, our life force, that part of ourselves that keeps us alive, um, flees and tries to find a safe place uh, while the danger is occurring. And in shamanism, it's the shaman's role to be able to bring that soul part back to a person now, I've been doing this work for close to 40 years, and we've had thousands of people receiving soul retrievals, and I've trained hundreds of practitioners. So we've been able to touch into thousands of people's psyches and return those lost souls to them. And, and the work has been amazing. It's really been amazing. And so I reflect a lot because it's 40 years later for me. And as I'm reflecting, as I feel I'm evolving, and it's not that I'm leaving shamanism, but my path is always evolving. So I reflect on, we did, we had a period of doing amazing soul retrievals and having miraculous healings all over the world. So what's changed? What's really changed right now? You know, people are still getting soul retrievals, but something feels different to me. And, um, you know, I'm always looking at what do we need to change? And a lot of it for me is the part of integration that's missing is community. Because in a shamanic culture, what actually sealed in the cure, the ultimate cure after the soul retrieval ceremony was performed by the shaman was the welcoming back by the community. And so once again, the person not only had their soul back, but they understood where they belonged, that they had a place of belonging, a place of acceptance. And I think that that's a missing piece of what's going on with a lot of the healing work right now is that people aren't getting 
the uh, reflection back from their community that they're now a person who's bringing new strengths, new parts of themselves, new evolved parts of themselves to the community to uplift everyone. And that's the missing piece that I'm seeing right now. Yeah. Oh, so much so. So much in what you just said. Let's see a couple of things I just wanted to bring up. One of the things just about soul loss and from you've trained me in soul loss and hundreds and hundreds of other people uh, in soul retrieval and bringing back souls. But one of the things that was always an issue for me was in doing that kind of work, people look at it like a pill, like, okay, now I've had this part brought back. But that isn't integrating. That isn't the work that happens. Soul, soul loss, from my perspective, and I think you said this too, it isn't a pill. It isn't a, a quick fix. On the other hand, I love that you're talking about community. And as you notice, we've changed the name of my show after 15 years or however long it's been to We Earth Radio. And it was called Conversations. And that is because of the importance of community and the community groups. I've been really amazed at the online community groups and working with them in a safe online, you know, on the computer group, how people can co-regulate and bring people up in community together by sharing the process of their own healing. Talk about that shift a little more in the community co-regulation, creating safety, and ultimately, of course, the relationship to the web of life. Well, first of all, we have to start back with the person's responsibility in the healing. And I actually wrote an entire book on after soul retrieval on life after healing because um, so retrieval is not a pill, and in shamanic cultures, it was never a pill. It was work that was done in behalf of a person to retrieve a part of themselves that they weren't aware of that got lost. But people in shamanic communities were trained to do their own personal work from birth. And so when I train practitioners in soul retrieval, I train them to do at least five, six, seven sessions with people about the aftercare because the soul retrieval is only one part of the work. The biggest part of the work is helping the client integrate. And it's really interesting to me how the practitioners I've trained aren't willing. They want to just do the one-time session and the clients want the one-time session. So it's been a bit of a collusion between practitioners and clients in a way of keeping shamanism to a one-time session because that's what they see in indigenous cultures without understanding that in indigenous cultures, people already did their personal work, so they don't need five sessions after a soul retrieval. But I do those five sessions after a soul retrieval to 
help a person do their personal work before they're ready to show up to their community. So as you just shared, people um, uplift each other in your group by talking about their personal healing. And with a soul retrieval, there's an amazing amount to share if you actually do all the personal work um, as, you know, as I share it with clients and having them do ceremonies for weeks and look into their past and to come to a place of forgiveness and, and really integrate and talk to the returned soul parts. This is work people just aren't willing to do. So how can we talk about a healthy community when before we talk about the work that people are willing to do in their own behalf? That's how you create a healthy community. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's been a coup, Sandy. The head has taken over the heart and the body. And for me, you know, I've always started out with Gabrielle Roth 40 some years ago, the no real shamanic practitioner leaves their body. And what we find now is, and I think social media is adding to this and conspiracy theories, people are living in the chat room. They're not in their body for the most part. And they're certainly not allowing themselves to feel the depth of their emotions as an embodied experience rather than I, I have anger in my head, I have fear in my head, but no, that lives in the body. And that's something I see no matter what community, whether shamanic community or spiritual community, people are, are doing spiritual bypass because they're not in their body. Yeah, no, you make a, a, you make a, a really good point. I am actually going to be teaching a new course on nature and connecting to nature um, starting February through the Shift Network. And the actual first session that I'm going to do is actually asking people to look at, are they a nature being or are they a technological being? <laughs> um, <laughs> because we keep, you know, with the COVID, one of the things that's happening is all of a sudden people are falling in love with nature. You know, bird watching is at the highest level I think it's ever been. But it's, it's still we're connecting to nature through the Internet. Um, we're connecting to nature through technology. So it's, you know, what, what you're talking about is where we're evolving to is we're actually evolving away from nature because as nature beings, we have a heart, we have a spirit, and we have a soul. And as technological beings, we just have a mind. And so in some ways, although we're seeing amazing division going on between different parties and different ways of thinking, we're also seeing amazing division going on as people 
are continuing every day to separate themselves just a little bit more, one step more away from nature. Um, and when that division keeps going, how do we start to look at what do we need to do to continue to be nurtured on this earth? People talk about healing the planet. The, the planet needs no healing. It's been here for 4.6 billion years. Why does it need healing from us who's here? We're here for five seconds. So what kind of healing does the planet need from us? But we need nurturance from the planet. And how do we get that nurturance when we're not connected to the planet and we're, when we're not connected to our own body? So it's like we're speeding up. We're trying to get, we're trying to, the spiritual bypass we're trying to get is these more evolved spiritual teachings. That's what people are seeking right now where we have to go back to the beginning and we have to start to connecting back to our body and connecting back to the earth before we start to look at any more advanced teachings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really interesting. The whole, the elephant in the room, the climate change. I started out, working on climate change shortly after Rachel Carson, really. And this show was created to bring forth an environmentally sustainable, spiritually fulfilling and socially just human presence and to support that goal. And in the beginning, you probably remember, even before we ever did an interview, it was really focused on, on the facts the science of climate change and Richard Heinberg and Bill McKibben and Joanna Macy, all those people were my guests back then. And that led into the social justice and climate justice issue. And finally it was like, well, we're not going to handle this issue without a spiritual awakening. Then there got to a point when I was covering climate change issues, I just thought we're screwed. We, you know, it does not look good. And then I had a realization along with starting to do the collective work with Thomas and my own work and your work that climate change is a relationship issue, wholly a relationship issue that our ability to be connected to our own body and have a relationship with it, to each other as an embodied experience and to the web of life as an embodied experience and to break up the very firm Cartesian Newtonian notion that we're objects in a world of objects and actually feel them in our nervous system, you know, feel the earth and the trees in our nervous system, feel each other and the pain and grief and fear that we carry in our nervous system, not out there. It's a relationship or an interrelationship, or as Thich Nhat Hanh would call it, interbeing to develop the capacity for interbeing. Your thoughts on that from a shamanic perspective? Yeah, I mean, what you're really talking about is um, from a shamanic point of view is um, transforming our presence in the world. 
Um, and actually, it's not that hard from a shamanic point of view, where we're going is actually not that difficult. Because when you fall in love, and this is how I've been talking about it for the past year, is when you fall in love with yourself, fall in love. I mean, the most romantic love that you can possibly imagine with yourself. And when you fall in love with the earth and when you fall in love with the water and the air and the sun and all the fire beings in the sky, and when you talk to them as a lover, they, they will be in relationship with you in a way that will support your life and bring the goodness to you. But you have to show that kind of love. When you really love another person, you'll do things for them. But what we do around climate change is, number one, we try to figure it out with our mind. But it's a hard issue. We've actually said to ourselves, what, do, what is a human saying to themselves and to the elements when you actually put poison into the water, into the earth, and into the air, um, where we're eating and, and taking our nurturance from, that, that is not a loving statement to yourself, and it's not a loving statement to the elements. So how can we how can we talk about creating a state of health, emotional or physical health for ourselves when we continue to poison ourselves physically? We're poisoning ourselves mentally with our thoughts, with the words that we use, with everything that we're reading. We're constantly eating and drinking poison physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And from a shamanic point of view, if we change our relationship with ourselves and with the elements, things transform very quickly. Things heal very quickly. But as you say, it's about the relationship. Yeah, yeah. Huh, love, huh? You know what Shakespeare said about love, don't you? <laughs> Remind me. <laughs> <laughs> that it's a grave mental disease. <laughs> Which, you know, if you listen to country music, you would have to agree with it. I don't make any difference between my car, my wife, my kids, and, and uh, right. Fritos. <laughs> but but yeah. what is, so that, that really brings up an important question, though. When we say love, what does that mean? To me, that means hyper-presence. It means presencing. It means mutuality. It means being so open to see and hear uh, the other person or the tree or the situation that's going on that we are fully a part of it. There is no disconnection. There's a, 
you know, you talk about transfiguration or transmutation, that to me would be a transmutation. Yeah, but when I taught transfiguration, um, which of course I still do now, and my response to you um, about what you just shared goes back to uh, transfiguration. When I teach people how to be a being of light and how to connect with the web of light, what I realized back in 2000, when I first started teaching this work, was that you can't teach people how to be a light and you can't teach people how to love themselves if they don't have a relationship with their creator. In all shamanic traditions, the creation story is the core of how people live their lives. And we have one creation story that either you believe or you don't believe. And so in 2000, I got from, my, from Isis, my main helping spirit, who helps me design my workshops. She said, how are you going to teach people how to be source when they don't know who source is for themselves? And so I started teaching people how to journey to their creator, to learn about their creator for themselves. And how that work changed for me was I started having people journey to their creator to experience how much love went into their creation. Mm -hmm. And I even did this with born again Christians in a heart study through the University of Michigan. I did it through teaching them automated writing and um, they were crying throughout the whole entire exercise. Every one of them got a different creation story than the Bible. They really did get their own creation story. So before we talk about opening up our heart to a tree, we first have to learn how much love went into our creation. Mm -hmm. And then that changes the relationship with ourselves. And so I remember teaching um, this in Ireland back in the early 2000s, the creation story. And I remember um, people in the workshop who were so heavily abused um, in their past and they came back and they felt like their life had been completely transformed and transmuted their whole entire past just by experiencing in every cell of their body the love that went into their creation. If you can take that love into your cells you don't have to worry about what does it mean to open up to a loving message, a loving conversation with a tree. Your presence changes forever if you experience that kind of love. So again, for me, everything is going back to the beginning and starting over. And then once we can feel that in every cell of our body, 
we get the roadmap of how to move forward. Yeah, that's brilliant. I, I love that. In fact, the it's probably one of the parts of your teacher training, which there were many, but that I love the most was that whole uh, going in and uh, seeing you know, what, what your creation story is and then drawing it as an image. That was beautiful. I had that image up on my wall for a long time. I remember in your book, I think it was Walking in Light. Is, was that the name of it? Walking in Light? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. And I, I was thinking about that in this whole area because in all spirituality and all creation stories, there's some function of light and it can be thrown off as a new age bumper sticker be the light but every esoteric and every animistic and every uh religion uh particularly the the deeper like the talmud and the different religions all talk about light talk a little bit about transfiguring into divine light uh, as part of that way to get to that love that we were created in and from? Well, for me, um, I wasn't really, uh, I think in my own soul, in my own psyche, I understood about the power of light. But um, when I was researching for my book, Medicine for the Earth, I had just started um, writing Medicine for the Earth, How to Transform Personal and Environmental Toxins. And if you remember, that's how we met was through um, my book. That was the first interview that we did was Still my favorite book. <laughs> I, <Yes. love> book. <laughs> I know it's my favorite book, too. And um the Egyptian god Anubis, uh, when I just started writing the book, had come to me in a dream and said, the missing piece of your environmental work is transfiguration. And I woke up from the dream and um, I didn't know what that meant. And I looked it up in Webster's and it meant shape-shifting. And I was really confused by that. And as I've shared over the years, my next door neighbor, who was a born again Christian and thought that I was this evil witch that lived next door and wouldn't talk to me, was diagnosed with liver cancer. And the first place she came was to my house and she knocked on my door and she asked me if I could help her. And we ended up in a really deep relationship, um, doing really long-term work together, and she did die. Um, but I did tell her about my dream, and that was when she gave me the reference to the Bible about Jesus and transfiguration and how um, he would transfigure into a greater light than had ever been seen and anybody who stepped into that presence of light or touched his robe was instantly healed. And, and the light went off in me when she talked to me about that because in my DNA and my soul, it was of course, light can heal anything, light transforms. What do we do with a toxin? We put it in sunlight to transform it 
we all know sunlight can transform any toxin. So we put things in the sun. We put our crystals in the sun to um, clean them. We put ourselves in the sun to clean ourselves and to regenerate. So we, we understand in our deepest place of our psyches, we understand the power of light. So in transfiguration, we go inside to the deepest part of ourselves that remembers that we are the sun. There is no difference. There's no separation from a spiritual point of view. There's only oneness. We are the sun. We are the stars. I studied Tarot with Angie uh, Angelis Arian, and she uh, was Basque. And in her tradition, there's a, a saying that we're all walking stars on this great big giant star planet Earth. And so when I teach transfiguration, I tell people to go in and imagine themselves being a star, radiating, shining their light so bright. Some people relate to sunlight. A lot of people relate more to moonlight. But going in and remembering the light of source is within us. And there are shamans in the world. They're not that well known where they only work with light to do their healing. And that's been an evolution of my work out of some of the traditional methods, healing methods of shamanism, in that I did find that um, some of the healing methods could be replaced with working with um, perceiving the divine light of a client while being in the light of source myself and that that's an actual method that's not only taught in other spiritual ways of healing, but it's actually a classic method of shamanism that just got dropped as people um, popularized shamanism and stopped exploring some of the the deepest levels that shamans went into the soul to be able to heal. Again, we stayed to surface because we kept looking for more powerful ceremonies than sticking with um, principles that have been working for thousands of years. And working with light is one of those. Um, every tradition, I, I have not found a tradition, as I did my research for Medicine for the Earth, where miraculous healings did not occur in the environment or with people when a shaman, a guru, a spiritual master, a healer, a saint um, stepped into a complete state of union with source and light, the light of the collective, the light of the world. The, um, it's, it's a different dimension of the same reality that we're living in right now. Yeah. One of the distinctions you make in that that I think is really important, maybe you could share, 
the difference between sending or doing and radiating and being that light. Can you talk yeah, about that? Yeah, that's a, a core um, place of my teaching. Um, people used to like to uh, compare transfiguration to Masaru Moto's work. And I, I kept on trying to explain that Masaru Moto's work is absolutely brilliant. Um, you can't find fault with it, but that my spirits asked me to bring through a completely different principle of teaching. And they asked me to bring through the feminine principle of teaching that it's who we become that changes the world and not what we do. Yes, we have to take actions. There's no doubt as human beings, we have to take actions but we also can change our presence of how we walk through the world. And a star doesn't send its light. It doesn't go, well, it looks like Sandra Ingerman and Michael Stone need some light today. I'm going to send them some light. Um, stars just radiate. They just shine and they light up the entire earth. The sun doesn't decide where it's going to shine. It just shines and it lights up um, our, our souls, our spirit. It lights up the entire earth. And so the principle of transfiguration is can you actually walk through the world being a light and not trying to do something, not trying to send, not trying to manipulate, not trying to change, not trying to transform, but just transforming through your actual presence. And that's what the mysteries have taught. It's a presence. It's not what you do. It's not what you send. It's the presence of who you are and the field of energy that you create for your clients and for the planet and for yourself to step into. Mm. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love that. Um, one of the things you also wrote another book that I think is really important and I'd like to touch on here, and that's about ceremony and the importance of ceremony and ritual in our daily practices. Can you touch on that a little bit? Ceremony is the shaman's vehicle of change. So when um, an issue comes up that needs transforming or reflecting on what a shaman or a person living in a shamanic culture would immediately turn to is performing a ceremony. Because when we perform a ceremony, we actually step out of the egoic part of ourselves. We let our mind go through our preparation work and we step into a place of source within ourselves. And when we step into that place of source we, and perform a ceremony, we actually create um, a phone line between ourselves and the creative forces of the universe. And so 
um, from a shamanic point of view, that's where when I was talking in the very beginning of the show about concentration, that's such a concentrated energy to create uh, an actual pathway between the divine and the practitioner um, through the practitioner moving into a divine state of consciousness. And through that, working with an element um, and an action in the world of stating a prayer to the creator from a divine place of a change that you're looking for in the world through um, putting a prayer into fire or asking the air to take your prayer up to the creative forces of the universe or burying a stone into the earth with a prayer for yourself or prayer for the world or blowing um, an intention into a glass of water and putting it into the ocean to share with the oceans of the world. These are really simple acts that shamans perform on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, seasonal basis to stay in harmony with um, the forces of nature and with the forces of creation so that when it's time to dismember um, a state of consciousness like we're in right now, we're in a collective dismemberment, um, the shaman continues to work with performing ceremonies, working with the elements, um, putting in prayers for transformation, for healing to happen. And that starts to create that new fabric of reality that takes the place of what's dismembering. And again, that's something that's missing in our community work right now is that we're doing a great job of dissolving what's not working, but we're not putting in um, those new plans, those new energetic patterns that will weave together a new fabric of reality for all of humanity and for the earth. And shamans do that through ceremony. And it's simply working with the elements, working with intention and working with the power of prayer. Yeah, and it, it doesn't have to be any, uh, as you say, a, a huge thing. It can be just when you open a door, you know, to the outside honoring that and to the inside honoring the space that you live in. I mean, there's so many simple ceremonies. You, you can take a stick and, and a, a, a toothpick and light it on fire with the intention of letting something go. I mean, it's just the fact of doing that. I love that. Yeah, yeah but again, um, the, the point that you made earlier in the show is important too. There's a big difference if you take a toothpick and um, put a match to it to let go of something old. If you do it from an embodied state or if you just do it as a thought, a mental yeah. thought. Yeah. 
And yeah. if, if you if you do it as a mental thought, then I'm going to get a letter in the mail saying you wrote this book on ceremony. And I have to say that I've been doing everything that you've said, but my ceremonies aren't having the results that you talk about where if a person does it from a completely embodied state, all of a sudden I'll be getting a letter saying in the next minute, I felt that trauma leave my body. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so important. And, and of course, intention isn't in the head. It's like you embody the intention to, um, to dissolve that, thing that we're holding on to or stuck with, because that's also in our body. Absolutely. Uh, I would love to take a couple of minutes to talk about ancestors. I never had a real relationship with family in the background, and it was a long time before I really recognized the importance of honoring the ancestors, even if you don't know who they are, and how much of this trauma that we're swimming in this sea of trauma much of it is ancestral trauma and from events in the past. In the practice of shamanism, it's taught that our ancestors are our greatest allies. And so in shamanic cultures, people always worked with honoring their ancestors. And that's true, as you know, in other cultures outside of shamanism. In the understanding is that our ancestors love us. Again, we're back to that word love, love us as much as our creator does. And so our deceased ancestors that go back generations and generations have so much love for us and they support us and they have our back and people oftentimes feel so lonely because they feel that nobody has their back. But at the same time, so in shamanic cultures, there's so much honoring ceremonies that are done for the ancestors. And today, as many people have been traveling to shamanic cultures around the world, shamans are seeing that people in the West have broken their connection with their ancestors and are trying to help them reconnect. But at the same time, one of the things that I'm reflecting on in my own life as I keep calling on my ancestors and keep asking for their support and for their help is how much trauma they went through. They went through amazing amounts of trauma and how much of that I'm actually carrying in my own body right now and looking at healing that trauma inside of myself. Again, we can call on, on our ancestors for help and support but we're also carrying in our DNA the traumas that they went through in our own bodies, too. And that's affecting our health at the same time. And of course, the other side of that is in this time of COVID, I think it's important to recognize that our ancestors went through climate change. They went through the plague. They went through all of these things. And that's part of us, too, is the wisdom and the resiliency that has been bequeathed to us by our ancestors. So 
I think both of those are important to recognize. Yeah. And again, that's one of the issues that I see is really prevalent uh, going on in our culture right now is people are saying, I think, I know, this is what I'm seeing. What I keep on saying is our ancestors have been going through the same thing for tens of thousands of years. What we're experiencing is no different than what has been seen for tens of thousands of years. And there's chants, there's stories, there's books, there's writings, there's teachings that have been passed down with all this amazing wisdom of a roadmap, an actual roadmap of how to get through these times. We keep trying to come up with what can we come up with? What can we come up with instead of going Maybe I should look at the wisdom that has been being passed down for thousands of years that would show me how to take my next steps. Reminds us that reading the book of life is also writing the book of life at the same time. <laughs> and we got a few minutes left here, and I wondered if you could just tell us a little bit about, you've got a new nature course starting with the Shift Network in January. Can you tell people a little bit about that and how they can find out more? I taught a course on connecting with nature um, a few years ago. It was such a powerful course, and I watched how an enormous amount of people stepped out of a dimension of suffering into a whole dimension of experiencing the beauty of life and the healing of making heart connections with trees and plants and all the different nature beings that live in the different elements and learning how to emanate love and emanate light to them and experience that coming back to them again. I, I really feel that there's so many answers to what's going on if we would establish a deeper connection with nature. And because I watched how people actually stepped out of a dimension of suffering through this course, I decided that it's really important to do it again, but to bring in more about community and how to connect on deeper levels in our communities with nature. So I'll be reteaching that course, but from a completely different perspective and bringing in new exercises. The course officially starts in February. I'll be doing an intro call, a free intro call about it in January. The best place to go to is to sign up on my email list on sandraingerman.com because right now we don't have actual links or any information to give people. I can just say that the course is coming up. Well, my dear, it's just lovely to be with you. So much more we could talk about. Is there any just last little tip you want to give people to live a fuller, richer, more connected and embodied life? The spirits shared with me the other day, and I've been sharing this with everybody, and I, I already shared it on the show, that the outer world gets very small when 
you do your inner work and you really expand your inner world. And so we're really focused right now on what's happening outside and the greatest changes that we can make is to really focus on ourselves and what we're feeding ourselves and what we're feeding the collective with. What are the words? What are the thoughts that we're feeding ourselves and the collective with? And reflect on that. And what are some simple changes that you could make that change the diet of what you take in on emotional and spiritual levels Of course, you have to look at on physical levels, but if we look at what we're taking in on emotional and spiritual levels and what we're putting out for other people to eat on those levels, think of the changes that we can bring to ourselves and to the whole entire collective. And I send my blessings to everyone during this time. I know it's difficult We all have to reach in to the deepest levels of strength that we were born with, and we can do it. And I send blessings to everyone during this time. Thank you, Sandra Ingerman. Always a delight to be with you, my friend. I uh, send much love and receive all the love you put out into the world. And I'm so grateful for your time, taking the time to be on We Earth radio with me. We Earth Radio is an independently produced program supported by listeners like you. We are committed to bringing you leading edge thinkers in the areas of environmental restoration, social justice, conscious evolution, and spiritual fulfillment. If you would like to receive our complimentary newsletter, The Well of Light, make a contribution, or listen to any of our past shows, go to our website, welloflight.com. Thank you so much for your commitment to a world that works for all life.